Hello. Yo, yo. I was um just just uh so there's not really any pressure. I was listening back to like the first two episodes of this, mm-hmm. and it's pretty bad. Like it's pretty <laughs> terrible. Like you ever watched the movie the, the Room? I've heard a lot about the Room. Okay, there's like a it, the movie. I won't tell you what happens in the movie, but the movie was so bad <laughs> that that I James know Franco that much. And Seth Rogen made a movie about the making of that movie. Okay, so like we're off to a good start. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how bad that movie was. Because I was, like, listening to it, and I got, like, 30 minutes in to the last episode of it. And I was just thinking, like, anyone that listens this far in, they're probably, they have to be laughing. They have to be, because it's just, I don't know, I don't know why anyone else would listen to it. I don't know why anyone besides me or Chris, who was the last person on this podcast, would really listen to it. Because, like, we're not really... I guess we're talking about stuff that's interesting, but there's just so much stuff that I probably should have cut out, but I don't know how to edit things well yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on that, but I might not even work on that. That might just be the brand. It's just to leave everything in there. I thought about renaming the podcast. I'll cut this out in post or we'll cut this <laughs> out in post. Cause I kept saying that <laughs> on, the, on the first two episodes. And I realized like I, that I'm just, I'm, I'm not really going to cut anything out. And it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if any podcasts really start out that well, though. I was looking at, like, the Joe Rogan Experience episode one, and that was terrible as well. So I think I think that'll be kind of the fun of it, is that it's early enough that anything that happens on these first couple episodes is just going to be seen as growth down the line if I keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So... Is there anything that you wanted to talk about before I just bring up random things? Huh. I guess I could tell you about a conversation my brother and I had last night where we were comparing reading Ernest Hemingway to listening to Pink Floyd. Okay. What was that? And, uh, well, we were saying it's a similar experience where – both are very good at what they do and it's like interesting to read and listen to. But, uh, if you listen, if you take in too much at once, it just depresses the shit out of you. And you're like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Uh-huh. But then, uh, but you're like, but it's really good. It's, it's, it's really good. You just got to kind of take it in for a bit and then you got to take a break and then come back to it later. And then you do the cycle again and it's great. It's just in kind of a masochistic kind of way. Yeah, yeah, that was like, um, you ever watch the show Vice? Um, no. That's something that, there's a couple things like that, where, um, where it's basically like, like 30 minutes long, and they show two halves, um, of the show, so like, the first half is some completely different story than the second half, and both stories are kind of like set up, in my opinion, I'm not sure what the actual... Um, process they have for finding stories is, but it's kind of set up to like, like shake your 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 reality of what like goes on in like world news. I think hmm. they get these these crazy shots of like um, like one of the first episodes I ever saw was they went to India. And they followed around a bunch of, like, homeless children that, like, would just hop on trains and collect trash and then, like, 
huff glue at night and then go to the movie theaters and then repeat it. Like that hmm. was just what they did. And you're, you're, you know, you're, you're sitting in your living room, basically watching this. And it was, it was so crazy to me. Cause at that point in my life, I like believed pretty thoroughly in karma. And I cool. believed pretty thoroughly at like the world was a pretty, I don't know, like fair place or that and, you, like, you just, get like, what's coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. That I like thought, I guess like I deserved whatever came to me or that, you could, I guess, like in America, I'm not sure if I. This might sound really, uh, we. I don't know, just like overly. I'm not sure how to put it, but I, you know, I think like in a way, I, I thought into a, to a certain point that you could just, whatever you could always like build yourself out of a situation, like you could overcome mm. your circumstances, and then I saw that, and. And it was just like mind blowing in a way. And then you, like, I started watching more episodes and eventually it just gets really, really depressing. And it almost became this thing that I called the vice challenge where whenever people would come to me and they would tell me like, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I would just say like, go sit down, <laughs> watch this show and like see how many episodes you can get through before you can't watch anymore. And it was the same kind of like masochistic thing in a way where you know i've actually like never read ernest hemingway or listened to pink floyd well it's interesting you say that though because um what got me into reading ernest hemingway for fun was i took a class called uh, paris in the 1920s and it's about uh the writers of that era and it focused on american expats living in paris at that time and the thing is that a lot of these writers had just come out of World War One, and uh, having seen and the thing about World War One that was so unprecedented was people were fighting wars in a very historic like, classic way where you just kind of sent out your troops oh, in a line at each other. Yeah, <laughs> but, then, but the thing is, with the technology that they had, though, you can't do that. So it, it's people fighting without knowing what they had so you have these gas attacks and people have never seen anything like that before so mm. it's these people traumatized and ptsd wasn't a thing at the time they're just like yeah he's just a little shaken up he's he'll be fine so it's these people who don't really know how to deal with what happened to them and so the community in france a lot of them were people who were former soldiers and it's people who are like artists and the interesting part is the artists and the writers of the time tried to well, they influence each other so you see like a picasso painting and it's like the cubism style where everything's all blocky and there's like four noses and you're not quite sure what the perspective is well gertrude stein was would see his paintings and try to write the way his paintings looked so it'd be these like poems where it's these random phrases that seem kind of disjointed and it doesn't quite make sense but who then was, who uh, was gertrude stein Gertrude Stein was kind of Hemingway's mentor. Uh, she was a uh, lesbian writer. She was also an American expatriate. And she was kind of, her house was kind of a hub where a bunch of uh, famous people, who people who are famous now, but at the time were upcoming writers and artists, they'd come to her for advice. So Hemingway used her as kind of an editor for his early work. And Picasso was kind of friends with her. And so she was kind of a, a leading figure for the American expatriate movement during the 20s. So you got interested in this because of the class or before the class? Um, because of the class. But uh, when you read, so we read his autobiography, A Movable Feast. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's it covers his time living in Paris with his first wife. And it kind of ends right before he has an affair with her best friend, basically. And um, it's interesting because that kind of the uh like things are shit now well it's it's everything's very cyclical it turns out and the feelings and the uh, like the mental state like a lot of people i'd say in their 20s now are feeling it's very easy to identify with stuff that he's writing about at that time period where it's like a whole bunch of people who just really aren't sure what they're doing with their mm-hmm. life but in a way where they're like does it matter like what like what's the point and like apathy apathy but also kind of hedonism like it's it, mm. there's a lot of um like sleeping around like, like excessive drinking um not, not sleeping around like a in i'm not saying that in like a shaming way but more of like a not it's it's kind of this it's not very they don't seem to be getting any fulfillment from it like so the sun also rises it's this his he's in love with this girl and they're friends and she basically like they act most the way they interact are like they could have been a couple but she doesn't want to be with them because his dick got blown off and walked <laughs> yeah that, no, that's wait, literally, wait, 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 wait. that is wait. literally the story the story when did, it, when did that happen to him this didn't actually happen to him so the sun also rises is a fictional it's his first fictional story oh but oh, i thought this was okay. no but it's fictional, but it's, but the thing is, if you read the autobiography, he's clearly the main guy in The Sun Also Rises is a stand-in for Hemingway. It's clearly him being like, well, I wasn't actually castrated, but women emotionally castrated. Oh, okay. yeah. I was thinking as you were that. saying, yeah, as you were saying that it was fictional, that it was some kind of like, like um, writer's tool to say that he had like erectile dysfunction or that something had happened. No, that, no. In, in the book, you know. he, he has no dick. It got blown off. Um, Did they so... explain it? Like in the war? It yeah, just yeah, that? He, yeah. He's like, the doctor was like, hey, at least you're alive. And it's him kind of <sighs> looking himself in the mirror at night being like, I don't know. Kind of don't want to be alive right now. But um, so he's got this friend and she keeps kind of hopping from <laughs> guy to guy in this kind of like, yeah like like he's he's the one for me he's so a good time and then she's like yeah it didn't quite work out i'm kind of bored and or like there's always something that happens where it just goes to shit mm-hmm. and it's just this kind of where you're like that sounds a little familiar it sounds like like problems that are common today but yeah. um it's just it, it's very interesting just because it's very easy to identify with people at that time period and to go back to Gertrude Stein, uh, he includes a quote in the beginning of The Sun Also Rises from her. And because in a discussion they had together, she describes his generation as the lost generation. Oh, as, yeah. This is okay. You know what this yeah. sounds like? This sounds mm-hmm. like, you ever watch that show, Adam Ruins Everything? Yeah. Where he kind of talks about how millennials don't really exist. And this is just kind of the cycle of young people mm-hmm. are seen a certain way by old people because of you know it's it's like a really reoccurring pattern at any given time especially he like points it out specifically in american history um just how each older generation always has a problem with like the younger generation's music and the younger generation only cares about themselves and you know that basically they think that when they were kids they were doing something that wasn't similar to what kids are doing currently yeah and, and yeah 
Well, what's what's so funny about that now, especially, is that the generation is now like, I can't believe kids are looking at their phones and not, like, I don't know, playing in a broken glass. Playing in the yard or playing in the street. Yeah. (laughs) But these are the same people who they, they, they were Woodstock. They're like the hippies, the like, fuck the man. It's like, well. Yeah. Um, okay, Barbara, are you going to put back on the fringe vest? Like, I don't know. It's, no, it's yeah, funny, yeah. though, because it, it's the people who were priding themselves on being the rebellious generation around, aren't all now like, what the fuck is with technology these days? Like, yeah, I think that's, okay. that's, that's the thing about nostalgia that I was um, thinking about a few days ago when I started like writing down my thoughts and I started like contemplating like doing this podcast because... I think, like, I don't know how to put it, but I think people just have a way of when you remember things that happened so far out, you forget about a lot of the negative things that happened. You, you just kind of remember, like, the home runs, and you remember, like, the really good things that that occurred because, I don't know, like, it, I think that's just, like, the nature of it. Because really, like, race relations were terrible. Like, if, like really, at any point, like they're not great now, but they're definitely in women's rights. Like all these things in the sixties that people like my, my older uncles and aunts that talk about like growing up, then they talk about it. Like it was amazing. Like it was this, this time. Well, you know, they it just, they have this like reverence for it that doesn't make any sense historically to me. Yeah. No, no, definitely. And it's kind of one of those where it's people like, oh, I'd love to go back in time. It's like, you might love to, like, see it, but I don't think you want to experience it unless you're, like, able to establish yourself in some really, like, you definitely need to be high up in society to enjoy it truly. Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I just, like, I, yeah, it's hard for me. So that's, like, the larger issue I guess I have with that sometimes too, is that uh, I was talking to my friend Chris about this other day that like, I totally forgot uh, because I was very like when I was living in other cities, I was still like very like in people's face about being from Philadelphia. And <laughs> I would like wear sports jerseys from Philadelphia, like at least once a week. And whenever something would be like expensive or just not how it was in Philadelphia, I would like think about like, ah, oh, this is stupid. Like I should just move back to Philadelphia. And I totally forgot how bad the winters can get. Yeah. And it just kind of like, <laughs> and it's like today, especially I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen it outside. It's like, it's. Well, no, in Philly, you're not just the snow. You're like, there's the wind tunnels. So you're like, Oh great. I'm getting shot in the face with ice. Oh yeah. Yeah. The wind tunnels. And, and it, it kind of hit me pretty hard like especially recently where i was just like how did i not remember this like how did i just not remember because it had like you know i lived for 17 years i lived here and you kind of not every winter is as bad as the last or anything but you still some of them are bad enough that you think you would remember you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like I, i would think i would remember not to like get caught off guard by that but but yeah, like what other? Um, I mean, what you're saying about Hemingway and and, um, and Gertrude Stein, like what do they say about? Do they say anything about like people in their 30s, or is it just people that are in their 20s? Um, 
You mean as far as like patterns go, that patterns you still kind of see. Uh, so the like when I was reading stuff for the class, it was kind of just covering uh, post World War One, and then into the twenties without getting too close to World War Two. Um, but it it is interesting just because of seeing what uh, types of humor are like at the time, because a lot of the kind of like the morbid sense of humor that's definitely becoming more prevalent now is if you look back, there's a lot of more of those kinds of like, I guess I'll just die kind of joke. <laughs> and well, no, I saw a thing where someone uh, collected some screenshots from um, some movies from uh, I'm assuming it was like the twenties are kind of like the black and white type thing. And it's, it's those kinds of jokes and you're kind of like, okay, so we're not that different, but also uh, there's also the, uh, cyclical nature of how people get around wartime. And um, when I was talking to my brother about this, he's a history major and he's, so he's studying different military conflicts and stuff. And he's, you get, he's just in a very, in a very calm way, just goes, well, based on um, how people are behaving in society now, we're in a interwar period. So this is the calm before the storm. I'm like, great. Okay. So, how long exactly do you think we have? But, Before North Korea? Is that what you're Oh, about? God. There's a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. I'm like, who knows? Which is gonna, yeah. What's yeah. going to happen first? I don't know. I, like, I, you know. I was... The thing that kind of blows my mind a little bit, too, is that... That every now and again, I'll watch, like, Vice News, and I'll see, like footage of Afghanistan or Iraq or like Jerusalem and I don't know like if I don't know I'm not sure if I'm supposed to feel something about that you know what I mean where you see all this this war going on and it's kind of on behalf of America in a way and and I don't know like I just like I I kind of sometimes feel like 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 uh like I was like, how, how do I put it? I guess it's like, like, um, like just desensitized to it, and maybe that's not like a good thing, but it's just kind of irreversible at this point. Where you see, yeah. you, like, you, you accept it, like you accept to a certain degree that okay, there's going to be people that die on behalf of the country I'm a part of, but I still have to live my life, or I'm still going to go enjoy. Uh, you know, my meal or whatever. I'm I'm not going to let it ruin my day. Well, the, that's the thing, though. There, There's definitely the point of view where it's the, you know, the how can you be complaining when this is going on here, here, and here? And there is and that's definitely something you should be aware of. But then to an extent, it's like, like, what can you do in the immediate moment and is not is purposefully not having a good time in your day to day life? Is that helping at all? Like, mm. you're not really changing anything. But in terms of for desensitization, it's it's kind of one of those, like, there's things that are available online that probably should not be available to everyone. Like, like what? Uh, well, like, uh, so there's uh, a bunch of, uh, there's, like, a lot of, like, YouTube channels and stuff for people who are in the military, were in the military. And it's kind of like stuff where it's, like, people in the business kind of thing. Mm. And so they have... Uh, recorded footage of different like military campaigns that have been happening and it's one of those where it's like if you're watching it in terms of an educational sense or 
like if someone's in the military that's one thing but like your story's like there's like 10 year olds in the comments being like well this was really cool and you're like i don't know if a 10 year old should be seeing actual <laughs> footage of a military engagement because that's kind of fucked up but then it's like well it's there and the kids found it so now what yeah yeah i, yeah, I think about that sometimes too about like the idea of um i guess i'm not sure what it would look like really but by the time i guess like the next generation comes out if and when i have, I have any kids just like how hard it's going to be to like hide stuff or if that's going to be just like a thing of the past if eventually because i started googling during christmas time like is santa real just to see if google would tell kids that mm-hmm. you know the obvious situation but it did a pretty good job of like censoring out the fact that Santa's not real for kids. Okay, but so I, it didn't do the quick response blurb from Wikipedia <laughs> going, Santa. I wish it did. I really that. wish it just said, no, Santa's not real. Aww. You know, because I don't want to, like, tell kids that. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't like that. Like, I don't like playing along with uh, with lies and and, uh, and, and kind so, of, so I feel like. So you'd rather have a child go, Dad, Google says Santa's not real. And you'd be like, ooh, right. I think I would I think I would rather just tell my kids Santa's not real and I'm buying you these gifts. Or me and your mother or whatever are buying you these gifts. And and just that way there's no setting them up to be disappointed down the line. You know what I mean? Like I for a while, I I was when I was like sixteen, like I still kinda didn't trust my parents because of stuff like that. It was like little stuff like that that I didn't get why they like lied about it that <laughs> that I still kind of just held a little bit of suspicion that they were lying about other things too because they you know they lied about uh Santa like I didn't really I had a problem like kind of believing in God for that reason too because I was like wait a minute this could be just like the Santa thing really trying to get me yeah yeah totally like I totally felt like this could just be a tool they're using to try to get me to behave because it's the same kind of idea, really. Like, like the idea that Santa's watching you during the year to, and you're going to get presents if, you're, you, wait, if you're a good oh. kid. You know what I'm saying? Never did that. They never... Your parents never told you that Santa's like going to give you coal in your stocking if you're not a good kid? No, they just said, do your chores because it's the right thing to do. So they didn't tell you anything about Santa? No, we had Santa. We just It just wasn't held over our heads throughout the year, so it was like a fun thing. Okay. And so, yeah, like, like when you find out it's not real, it's definitely, it was like upsetting, but <laughs> got over it. Yeah. 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 I'm not like still upset about that, but <laughs> maybe I mom am, and I, dad, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, I guess like the only leftover thing from that is my parents would be like, so is it cool if we like have a chill Christmas this yeah, year? And we're like, yeah. we're like, are, are you sure we Just like the balloons? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. Uh, fine. They start ringing it in. They start kind of. Oh, it, it's back. definitely. It's, it's, it's everyone. Everyone knows, but we like the pretense, so mm-hmm. we make mm-hmm. them write Santa on the from tag. Still. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let us let us have some fun today. Yeah, yeah. I think, but like the idea, I was kind of that I have a problem with that that I kind of wrestle with. I was having this discussion. Um, with an Uber driver coming back from the airport where he was talking about basically how he's like teaching his son history and he's not 
like he's very he was very firm about like I'm not gonna like coddle my kid, meaning like I'm not gonna be soft with how the world is to my kid. And I don't know, like I wonder if that's like if that's crazy or not. Like if that's like a crazy idea to to just tell your kid at like because I have a cousin that's like ten years old and she was asking me during Hanukkah, she was asking me about um she basically came up to me, she was like, My friend Sadie keeps trying to break her ankle during recess, you know, that's to fun. get a cast. And I was just like, Yeah, well, you know, people this was like around the time we were doing that presentation about all the crazy stuff people do on the internet and the larger issue of like the negative effects of the internet. So like it was still pretty fresh in my mind that it wasn't like far off from what people do. So I was like telling her like, yeah, Sadie is probably doing that for attention, especially if she like told you about it. Like people do all kinds of stuff for attention on the internet. And she was like, really? Like what, like what kind of stuff? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, remember, this is a 10 year old. So I started to like, it, you know, at a certain point I was kind of conflicted about telling her, but I'd started telling her about like the, the fire challenge and the second story challenge and about mm. how she wouldn't be the first person to like break her ankle for attention. And, and, uh, and so at a certain point, like I'm showing her the video of the second story challenge. And you know what that is? Oh, uh, where people jump from a second story. Yeah. It's really just one kid yeah, that Jesus. took a video. But it, someone yeah, went to a school and like jumped off the second story of, of the, of the, you get the idea. And he breaks his ankle. And <laughs> at a certain point she asks me like, is this appropriate? And, <laughs> And I like immediately I like, kind of snapped out of it and turned off the phone and um, kind of, you know, just came back to, yeah, you're right. I don't think this is appropriate. I think, you know, that was a good call. And, and we moved on with, with our days collectively, but, but yeah, like I, I, you know, I, I wonder about like, is there like a, a specific time that it's suddenly okay for, for people to be, aware of like what's really going on and then I I think you can be honest with kids without you know like shocking them like you can like you can say hey there's people who aren't as fortunate as us around Thanksgiving when you're collecting like food supplies to donate to like a shelter or something like you can Make mm-hmm. a teach like you can teach kids about it without being like, look, they like you know like showing them like the horrors of the world when they're like six. I mean, I think there's like a way you can kind of ease them into the understanding that there's like inequalities in the world and that like sometimes things just aren't fair and it just it's not yeah. a pretty thing. But I don't think you need to like terrify a child <laughs> in order to do with, it with graphic video. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, like with the. The kids trying to break her ankle be like, well, that's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> it's the ones where it's yeah. like, don't, don't do that. And not because an adult saying, oh, that's bad. Because like, why, why hurt yourself unnecessarily? For attention. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, yeah. then maybe they need a bit more hugs as a child. I guess. I mean, that's, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like sound advice. I didn't think about it that way, though. I really didn't. I really didn't think. I thought about it kind of like, like 
like there's two channels you know what i mean like there's mm. like you either show them the video and, <laughs> and your well, kids are gonna you know just sorry what are you gonna say well that's the thing like i mean when i was young like from when i was in like preschool i know my my church would aunt would uh, routinely do uh casserole drives where they'd hand out like those like recyclable metal tins and you'd make a lasagna or casserole or something and bring it in so from a young age I saw my mom do that so I hadn't seen it I hadn't seen what it was like to be in a shelter myself but I knew that that existed and I knew that we were that my mom was making that to help so it's like you can you can know that something exists without and as a child be aware that things are a certain way without being like look here's a homeless man like (laughs) (laughs) smell him smell him (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this is your country. <laughs> yeah, like, like there, there's a way to kind of ease kids into the world without trying to shock them. Do you remember like the first? Uh, I don't know if the first, but just like you remember anything that like really shocked you about the world, like before you went to college, like before you moved out of your parents' house. Um, when my brother and I were in like middle school I think yeah no between between like fifth and eighth grade I think he was really into paintball and so there's this youtuber uh this guy paint who his name his name online was paintborg and he would make these videos about uh paintball stuff but it was like he'd make mods for his guns and he'd Mm -hmm. like just a bunch of fun videos and some of them were funny and some of them were like tutorials and my brother and I thought they were really cool, so we'd follow his videos. And then one day, there was a video posted to his channel by a friend of his, it was this British girl, and saying, uh, Borg killed himself last night. Whoa. And so, and it was a very bizarre experience because it was the first time I'd ever, uh, with, had anyone I had any connection to committing suicide. And it was also, and the fact that it was this guy in Croatia, but the fact that we kind of like looked up to him in a way, and then you hear this. And then on top of that, what really kind of was shocking to us to hear is that, so the the girl makes this video explaining what happened. And she's like, I was on the phone with him the night before. And this guy had a girlfriend and a kid, apparently. And the thing in like the uh, economy wasn't going well. And so he ended up killing himself. But the way she's explaining this, she's like, yeah, I was on the phone with him. And, but it sounded like she never didn't try to talk him down. She just kind of like, well, you do what you got to do. And that's wow. when I was, I was like, and so as a kid, you're kind of, you're like tween, young, like 12, 13. You're like, what the fuck? Like <clears throat> someone, someone called you the night before they killed themselves and you didn't like, you didn't try to help. You didn't try to stop it. You just kind of were like, well, if, that's what you, that's your decision. That's your decision. Like, what the fuck? So that was, I think that was probably one of the more shocking things to just hear about as a kid. Yeah. I mean, that, you were like 12, 13 around that time? Yeah, probably like, probably around 13. Yeah, I can't even remember anything shocking that honestly happened to me as someone that lived in my parents' house. Mm. Like, I can't. And that's why I think I had such a problem, like, uh, 
And I realized, like, when you listen, if you ever listen back to this, I say like, uh, and you know what I mean, way mm-hmm. too much. But, uh, but yeah, I think I, like, there was nothing that was really shocking to me that I can remember. I mean, I, I'm sure there was stuff that happened, but um, even like my grandparents died, or um, or what else would happen? What else would happen? Or like you know, seeing people like get into fights, or it just. I, don't know, I guess I didn't know anyone that killed himself or anything, but it, like, nothing shocked me until recently. Like, recently, mm. when I either got to college or when I moved back to Philadelphia, that's like when I would my whole like worldview kind of like fell apart. Because what was the shocking thing? Uh, it was a few things, but it was it was mostly it was like a few things all at once. I think that kind of contributed to it but i think it was really just that my my view of philadelphia when i was living in san francisco was largely based on the 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 demographics like the numbers Mm. that i saw because i was kind of annoyed with how expensive it was to live out in san francisco and i was like you know i could move back to philadelphia and they still got these really good diversity numbers and you know and uh and when i finally did like my parents had both lived in Philadelphia most of their lives. Like they both went to Penn and, um, and yeah, it's just like they, neither one of them, like we lived in Abington when I, for most of my life, like I I grew up in East Mount Airy until I was Mm -hmm. 10. And then for seven years we lived in Abington. So I guess like the entire time I was in middle school or high school, I felt like, the like there wasn't a ton of black people but i felt like if i was to move into the city there would be more like prosperous black people like it was only mm-hmm. because my parents made this decision to live where they lived that i wasn't really getting that experience and then we moved to nashville it was like even more radically um like white is really what it was and more radically like segregated and mm-hmm. then I moved to San Francisco and it was like everyone was kind of together and there was like Mexicans and Asians and, uh, and Indian people. And I never met any Sikh people and there was people you couldn't really place, but they were all integrated and there was mm-hmm. no like real like neighborhoods where this is a black neighborhood or this is an Asian neighborhood. And this, except for maybe Chinatown, like the, or Japantown, like that. But even then, like people, you know, are walking around, like going to Chinatown and it wasn't like abnormal to see different people in different places. But like living out there for two years where like my first real exposure to living on my own in a major city, I just assumed things were integrated. Like I assumed that, that that's what America was. And that was what um, like, that was what, yeah, that was my whole, my whole view of America really was like San Francisco. And I didn't really understand that other places weren't like that. I like I understood on paper that mm-hmm. like San Francisco was like the first city to do like a, t- a tobacco ban, or that they were uh, like charging for bags, right? Like when you go to the grocery store, they would charge like yeah. five cents for a plastic bag and stuff like that. And and that stuff kind of annoyed me at first, but after a while, I, it was just the norm. And so when I moved to Philadelphia, 
no one really like I, I it kind of hit me all at once like the the separation and like Mantua as a as a neighborhood and mm-hmm. the sections of West Philly as neighborhoods that are juxtaposed to these pretty prestigious universities and and uh, I had just never seen it like we'd gone downtown before for things but it was essentially just to like either go visit family or to go to certain restaurants like we never really just went downtown to go downtown and I never really just went downtown on my own to walk around and and it was it was it was like my whole like pride of being from Philadelphia like took a major hit like the first week I moved here because I just like I had no idea I had no idea I remember like going to a a family dollar one day in either like North Philadelphia or Mantua and I remember just like leaving with a headache because like as I'm walking in, there's like, you know, the police are showing up to like arrest this woman who's like an old woman who's clearly drunk. And there's like this long line to check out and uh <laughs> and they only have one person working there and everyone's complaining in the line. I don't even really get headaches. Like I haven't had a headache since going to that store. Mm-hmm. But like that was just like the first week. It's just like the heat and then the stress of of like all this like dysfunction that I just didn't know about. And I was, I was 21 years old and I somehow had just not seen it up until that point in my life. And, and in a way, I don't know, it kind of made me upset with my parents in, in a, in a hmm. weird way. Cause I thought like, how did oh, they not really tell me? Shield- oh, like, like you're really shielded from it. Yeah. Like I didn't think I was sheltered for like, for, for pretty much like, like 21 years. Like I didn't think, I was living a sheltered life. I thought people I went to school with were living a somewhat sheltered life at different private schools. But I felt like, because I went to different public schools and because um, of living in different places, that I wasn't as sheltered as I really was. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of like a hard thing to come to terms with and, and to really, I don't know, I don't want to make this like a, like to just tell you about all my problems, but that was like the, the really one big kind of shocking thing that isn't as shocking anymore, which is really kind of bizarre that I, you know, that like I used to, like when I first came here, I was really, it really like bothered me that there was no Mexican people anywhere. And it bothered me that there was no Asian people like that I could see anywhere. They were, there's a, every mm-hmm. now and again, you meet someone that's from China that goes to school here. That's like, but they're from China and, and, it like bothered me for weeks <laughs> and uh and then now it doesn't as much it doesn't yeah I, I i've kind of forgot i kind of forgot that i cared about that and uh and i think that's something i don't know like you ever worry like that like living here like because you've pretty much lived in the in the area your entire life right yeah you ever worry like like that things you might be experiencing or seeing or that are just like normal to you, like might be like unhealthy hmm. in a way. Um, hmm. um, I, I would say in, in a way I like, I'm aware that definitely it's sheltered in the sense that I have had a very stable like childhood. And I know that, and and meeting more and more people, you start to realize that people have had very, very different life experiences 
and yeah. that there's, there'll be times like you talk to like like your friends and then like there's times where like oh shit wait I should not talk about that topic because that is something that's in their life an issue so like uh, like once you're like oh crap wait, like don't joke about that and not like a it's kind of like an internal thing where you're like it's not trying to please everybody but it's ones you're like there's no reason to get them upset you know yeah um i, I don't know because i'd say yeah i mean i think if you're aware of what the limitations of your environment are like if you're aware that you don't live in a very diverse area i think you can uh as long as like as long as you know that and like you're kind of just in the back of your mind as long as you're not okay as long as being in a not diverse area doesn't stop you from like meeting people who are different from you then it's then it's okay like if you're as long as you're open to meet people without you know forming any like predisposed prejudices against them i think it's not that limiting but if you're like looking at your environment and you're like all right i see only like i see only white people here so they're the only people i'm going to associate with like that's that's not that's bad that's and that's also very unfounded but if you're just kind of you just take life as it comes and you're just open to meeting people i think it's easy to get around it and also i don't know i think it's one of those if you don't overthink it and you just let yourself be open to new experiences then things happen and i feel like more more fun things happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay because I mean... I mean, I would say, so, like, one of the weirdest experiences was college touring within PA, because mm-hmm. I grew up in, like, the suburbs of Philly, so kind of bizarre, I knew of the area, but, and we we're heading up to Pittsburgh, and, but I had never really experienced Pennsylvania, which, mm-hmm. you know, and so in between, I'd never seen, like, what a run-down backwoods town looks like, and yeah. it was, like, it was kind of scary because <laughs> well, no, because you're you're driving through like the woods and then you see these just houses. Amish that, country. Well, no, no, Amish country would be better because it was these these. It, it was clearly once a neighborhood, but now everything's really run down. Like all the houses are all kind of gross looking, and it's always right outside these. Like it was like right outside where like Pittsburgh, like University of Pittsburgh is, and it's these like Syracuse even when we're heading up that way. And so it's one of those where, like, this university has kind of, like, drained the local economy. So everywhere outside of it just looks desolated. And you're like, this is terrifying. And it's like, well, as we realize just how big the U.S. is. Because you're like, this is, I'm in the same state and I feel like I'm on another planet. Yeah. 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 Is that, like, why you chose not to go out there for college? Um... Not directly, but I feel like I'd be kidding myself if I didn't say that didn't end up factoring into, like, my emotional view of the schools. Because there was kind of, like, like I do, I just remember kind of walking around being, like, like, the thing with Syracuse, the one, the one thing about Syracuse that I just couldn't see myself going there was the fact that it just, it seemed like there was the school, and the school seemed very built up and very urban, and they're, like, there's the city of Syracuse. But the school wasn't in Syracuse. It was like a bit away. So you had to kind of drive into the city. So there's the school. And then there's like this really small town outside of it. And there's nothing wrong with the town. It was cute. But it was one of those like, 
I I don't I'm still in the middle of nowhere like you're this isn't a city school this isn't in the city mm-hmm. and so that was like the idea the, the I guess this comes into I guess my own neuroses or whatever but the the schools that were in the middle of nowhere freaked me out because I'm like what if I get bored and there's nothing to do like I'm trapped here so that hasn't happened at any point at Drexel that you've gotten bored with nothing to do it happens, but it's, I feel like in that case, it's more of my own, like, yeah, putting myself in mental... Yeah, it's definitely self-imposed, because there are things to do. It's just that I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to leave campus. And it's like, well, why not? I'm like, because I'm tired. <laughs> All right. So, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was your experience going abroad mm-hmm. and just, like how do you think that might have changed your your outlook on anything or just what you took away from it? Um, okay. Um, I'd say going abroad is definitely what, like... Where'd you go, first of all? But, yeah, sorry, not a good um, Well, I'd say, so, kind of comes back to what you're saying about diversity, and I... Yeah, I, I grew up in an area that, um, like, kind of diverse, but predominantly white. But I would say traveling helped me be aware that where I lived is not the norm everywhere else. Um, my my cousins are half French, and so they their parents live in France. And so when I was around, like, third grade, we started, we would visit them. And it's kind of like a getting to experience like different culture but so over the years we've we've gone a couple different uh family vacations and um i guess when i was in fourth grade my parents took me and my brothers to rome and the funny thing about that was i remember my mom made sure to teach the three of us and we were so we're all i was the oldest of fourth grade like second grade and like a kindergartner and uh she was really big on making sure we all knew how to say thank you in Italian because she's like, you're going to be polite. We don't know Italian, but you're going to be polite to them. And she made a point to stop us. And she was like, all right, when we go to Italy, people there, some of them have never met Americans. And so they will make assumptions about Americans based on how you act. And when you're in fourth grade and you're like, what? And so the entire time, I mean, it it made sure we were good children and we did not, cause a scene but um that definitely uh, talking to my brothers and I definitely stuck with us as a thing to be aware of whenever you go somewhere else like they were so from a young age we were told to be aware that there are people who will make assumptions about all Americans based on how you act so therefore you need to make sure you're acting in a way that doesn't that isn't completely shitty and um which which was interesting because when I did study abroad I was uh living in France at the time but uh I was my my friend the friends I made in my building were mostly Spanish so I kind of was adopted by little Spain and it was it was was a lot of fun and I like I'm still friends with them now and like I love them dearly but it was funny because there'd be times of these like cultural differences where we'd kind of be like well that's that's not how we do things or like oh that's a good example um 
There was one time I got, I went to this like hot chocolate place with me and my friend Marie Jose, who's Spanish. And then this, uh, our, our Marie neighbor. Marie Jose is Spanish? Yeah. Oh, really? And then okay. um, Enrico was this uh, Italian guy who was, my, who was our neighbor. And we all went and so we're all talking. And uh, I, I forget what I said, but I told a joke that I, I that's one of those like, it's the type of humor that an American any American person would at least like kind of do the like a chuckle like haha and I, I told you I don't remember because I just remember the reaction because Maria Jose looked me in the eye dead serious and goes, Maddie that is not funny <laughs> and I just kind of was like well okay then <laughs> and you're just kind of looking at your hot chocolate for a second like okay that's um hmm. who likes sports but uh there's another, and there's there's another time, we all went to this place for drinks, and uh, um, the Spanish are very very particular about their hot chocolate. Because I don't know if you've ever had hot chocolate and churros, but the way they do it is it's basically molten hot. It's literally like a bar of chocolate melted in a cup, and it's like thick enough that you can either eat with a spoon or like dip like a churro into it. So it's not really like something I would drink. But we went to this place, and it was like probably november so it was getting to be cold and they're like, oh let's get some hot chocolate and so but we're remember we're in paris mm-hmm. and so they bring over a pot of a pot of chocolate and then a pot of like hot milk to like mix it together and i'm looking i'm like that looks delicious because i know in the u.s swiss miss is the go-to at a <laughs> restaurant and i'm like that is wonderful and they, they started kind of going and one of them one of my friends calls over a waiter and is like this is barely any chocolate. This is milk. <laughs> You've given me milk. And they like start causing, like there was like a, inc- it's almost I'm like, and I'm sitting there where I'm like, head in my hands like, what the fuck? It, I'm, I'm trying to jokingly be like, well, you know, we're in France, not Spain. And they're like, like, but this, we're being ripped off. Like, <laughs> are, are we, are we really? And I'm sure to them, it was probably like, okay, like from knowing what they expect out of hot chocolate, they're like, this is like they're we're being ripped off they're they're jipping us but mm. for me where i'm like look i'm happy we're not getting a packet of like chocolate powder to mix in with some hot water like mm. it's it's fine it and but it's kind of funny because it's like being aware of your own cultural prejudices but then also when you see them in your friends from their from a totally different culture and it also, it, it, it's interesting. It'd also be interesting hearing them debate politics within the EU because, like, I had a Belgian friend and a Spanish friend kind of discussing things, and then they'd turn to me and I'm like, "Well, as someone who does not live in the EU and is not aware of anything going on in the EU, I'm just gonna not talk because, like, yeah. based, it's one of those where it's like based on what they're saying, you can have an opinion, but I'm like, I." don't really know what i'm talking about so i'm just gonna let them do their thing Mm -hmm. yeah that seems like i was talking to someone from australia about that like before winter break about i guess how from her point of view she said like americans don't really realize how much the rest of the world is like watching what they do Mm -hmm. and how American influence with politics or culture or anything kind of spreads beyond America and how much like Australians will talk about 
either like European politics or American politics, just like casually. And they're even though, and and but it doesn't go the other way. You know what I mean? Like Americans, yeah. if, if you talk about, I I like roughly know what Brexit is. Like roughly, I know mm-hmm. what uh, you know the EU or you know it's like John Oliver does this thing on the show where he talks about like he'll bring up some cult some country, and he's like, well today we're gonna talk about Algeria, and then he'll show it on the map, and like half the time we'll say you know a country you think about so little that you don't even recognize that that's not Algeria. This is Algeria. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's kind of, it is, it's, it's true, because I guess we don't really need to, it's like the country is so big that you kind of don't need to know. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. no, because I, I definitely noticed that, because I was doing study abroad in 2015, and my friends were, like, they were very aware of American politics where I was, it's one of them coming, I am so sorry, I have no idea what's going on <laughs> in this country. But uh, since then, I will say, and I mean, it's one of those, like, ideally, it shouldn't have to, things shouldn't have to be on a personal basis, but I've been more aware of the stuff going on in Spain because I have friends who live there, and so, like, the like the problems Carolina. with, yeah, with, with um, uh, like, the Within, especially so I have like a couple friends living in Barcelona and that being kind of like where there's being protests and that and all that going on that's I'm like texting them every once in a while every time something comes up in the news I'm like you guys are okay right like <laughs> like yeah yeah it's fine it's fine I'm like it, is it is it like are you, like <laughs> you, you sure because that's kind of what people think about like America though right like whenever Trump tweets out something or or something newsworthy because I guess it's like every day now right but something will happen and they look from wherever they're at and they'll be like, what is going on in America? Like, this is, you know, this is crazy that the, they, the president made a threat about whatever he made a threat about. And, but people are still kind of living their daily lives and no one's really getting hurt yet. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, last thing. Did you see the Chappelle specials? The what? The oh, specials? I um, like the most recent ones. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw I saw the first two a while back. Mm-hmm. I started the last one. I have not finished it yet. You started the first. I started. I started the... the most recent one. The first of the most recent two. Okay. That were put okay. out. I have not finished it yet. But yeah. I I did love his. I'm I'm quitting because I'm I'm just too good. At it. <laughs> too good. <laughs> I'm like, you're you're right though. Oh yeah, yeah. If you, I'm not gonna give anything away, but like, it was. It's uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check those out. It's really pretty surprising that he can put so many of these out, and it the quality is still there. Oh yeah. You know. So. All right, all right. Well, thanks, thanks for right. uh, thanks for doing this. I'm not sure if you uh want your. Normally, when I put these up, I put, like, the number, and then I put the person's name besides it. I'm not sure if you don't want your name there or what you You can use my first say. name. Just your first name. That works. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Uh, thanks again for doing this. And yeah, we'll no see problem. how it turns out. All right. Thanks. Have fun.